Um, I get the pleasure of um, sharing the word with you quite often and doing the sermon. And just to be clear, you know, whenever we preach, uh, whenever a decent pastor preaches, their aim of preaching uh, is not to inform the congregation of information. That's not the purpose of preaching in a church. The purpose of preaching is to transform, to facilitate transformation. So when I speak this morning, I'm not speaking to inform, okay, to give you information or help you have greater knowledge of God. That's not the primary focus, although hopefully you will understand God better. I'm not preaching to conform, so I'm not here to try and make you behave in a certain Christian way, although I hope that getting to know God better and being here at church makes you want to be more like Jesus Christ. The purpose of a sermon is not to conform you, not to inform you, but to transform you. And this is really at the heart of of the Christian life. We're going to focus this morning on Acts chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, whether that's physical or digital, uh, I encourage you to get that out. Um, we're going to work through these nine verses um, together and talk a little bit about transformation. So I'd love you to follow along with me this morning. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat and drink. Now I'm reading that from the New Living Translation. This is an epic epic story of transformation and conversion from living one way to being converted, Saul, who later becomes Paul, to a whole new way of living. This is an epic, dramatic, full-on story that is not the normal way that people meet Jesus. (laughs) So let me put that out there for you. The purpose of this story is not to say that this is normal, or this is how you should meet Jesus every day, or that you will have constant transformation Damascus Road encounters over and over again. The purpose of this story to say is to say that the most hateful, religious, murdering person on the face of the earth, a young, per- a young man in his arrogance like Saul, God can reach. God can reach the most hateful, murderous person, the most arrogant, difficult person, the most unlikely person, Jesus can reach them and change their heart. That's the purpose of this story. Because you and I know if you've been around church for a while, there is times of transformation, encounter, lights from heaven, Jesus speaking to our hearts, and they happen along the Christian journey, but that's not every Sunday. And that's not every day in your devotional times. But this story shows us that God can reach anyone and transform anyone. As Leanne said, last week was a a great Sunday morning. Who had a good time? I had a great time. If you weren't here, 
Uh, welcome to Discover Church. This is your first Sunday. Please fill out the visitor's card if you've been here for 20 years or not. It's your first day at church. But I spoke a little bit about loving God and loving people. And I shared that really the end of the Christian journey or the end of this journey of following Jesus and having a relationship with him is love. And it is to come to this place where you're transformed into a loving gracious person that's full of patience and empathy that's willing to give your life for others that's why the cross is the logo of our church because this is the greatest example of love and sacrifice and giving your life to somebody just like Jesus gave and that's the end of the Christian journey it's definitely not the beginning is it it's probably not in the middle either is it it's a lifelong journey to learn to become a loving person love is the end but transformation is the way. To become transformed into love is a journey. It takes a long time. And Discover Church is a place of transformation along the way. It's a place where we want people to be able to meet Jesus, not meet Pastor Caleb, not meet a nice coffee, not just a good kids ministry. They're all lovely things, but that is not the point at all. The point is that every obstacle that can stand in the road is removed so that this church can help you meet Jesus Christ and help anybody meet Jesus Christ. It's a point of life transformation. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul, so we heard about him as Saul before, but the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth in his second letter, he says that with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the journey of the Christian life. It's to be constantly transformed as we contemplate, as we think, as we dwell on who God is, what Jesus has done on the cross. As we look not to our earthly anxieties and concerns and worries and all these things, but we look to God and we contemplate his greatness, we are transformed into the glory of God. This spiritual growth or this transformation, this is the purpose of being a follower of Jesus. If you were here for any other reason this morning than to grow spiritually, you're going to find church difficult. If you go to a life group or you're involved in this church or maybe it's your first Sunday and you're just having a look at church or just having a look at God, Jesus, who is he? It gets really difficult to stick around if you don't want to grow. Because this is the purpose of the Christian life. God is here. Even right now, the Holy Spirit is here this morning. He's coming to you. He's coming to your heart. He's coming to your mind. He's coming to your marriage. He's coming to your singleness, wherever you're at. And he wants to have an influence. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you better. He wants to make you freer. He wants to make you more like him. He wants to give you more peace. But he won't kick in the doors of your heart. You've got to invite him in. You've got to let him come in and play a role. Pete Scazzaro, I shared this last week, said that loving well is the goal of the Christian life. This is much easier in our dreams than in practice. To get to this place where we love people in reality takes a lifetime of having your heart transformed. You can't just try harder to love people. You need to be transformed over and over and over again. Jesus said in John 15, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than this for one person to lay down their life for their friends. This is the ultimate act of love, to be transformed, to grow to this place where because of God in your heart, you can give your life 
to another. You can live your life in service of others. This is the great dream, something that in the bottom of all of our hearts we want to do. We want to serve people. We want to help people. We know that that's the true value is in that. But without transformation, without spiritual growth, without changing from the inside out, we'll never be able to come to this place. The faith in their book, The Faith Journey, I mentioned this last week too, stage six, they talk about being transformed into lovers, the final stage of the faith journey. And stage six looks like this. God continually sends events, circumstances, people, and maybe even books into our lives to keep us moving forward on our spiritual journeys. God is determined to complete the work that he began in us, whether we like it or not. Isn't that the challenge when you don't really want to change, but God is there knocking on the door of your heart. He continually wants you to be better. He wants you to be freer. He wants you to be happier. He wants you to be more fulfilled. The challenge is when we don't really want that. In his language, John Wesley said that we are made for perfect love, that Christ's love becomes our love, both towards God and towards others. We realize that love truly, this is stage six, remember, the final stage of Christian growth. We realize that love truly is the beginning and the end. By this stage, the perfect love of God has driven out all fear in our hearts and the whole of our spiritual lives is finally about surrender and obedience to God's perfect will. You know, I grew up in the church. I grew up coming to church. I grew up in kids' church and youth group and I've always been around the church and I'm incredibly thankful to God that I've had that opportunity in life. And I learned very early on how to love God well. And I was pretty good at loving God and pretty good at serving God and pretty good at obeying God and pretty good at dealing with sin and things like this in my, in my early life. I did that really well. The other side of the coin, loving people, has been a great challenge. <laughs> my love for God did not overflow into love for people. I remember uh, I did a discipleship in this course that we used to have, uh, a discipleship course in this church that we used to have when I was 18 years old. And I remember during that year, one of my classmates just tearing shreds off her, just absolutely just tearing shreds off her. I, was, I, was, I had a very quick wit, a very strong presence and a very nasty tone if I wanted to. And I just remember tearing shreds off her. My ability to love God with all my heart and even give myself to a course, a year of discipleship, many times did not overflow very well into how I related to people. The two were quite disconnected. My focus was on loving God, which really was performing for God, because that wasn't outworking in how God loved people. I was struggling then. It's been the last 20 years of a lot of growing into that. I went through a period where my love for God created a lot of judgment for people, judging their spirituality, judging how they lived their life, judging whether they were Christian enough. I know none of you would have been through a season like that in your Christian walk and you've always just loved and never judged. But for me, it was tough. My love for God, my passion and zeal for him was not outworking in the same loving kindness that God showed me. I couldn't show that for others. Judge the worship at church, judge the music, judge the youth group, judge the sermon, judge the church down the road, judge the church up the road. God is not judging the church down the road. 
God is not judging this church and saying, oh, this could be better or they don't do this quite properly. That isn't God's heart. It's full of loving kindness. It's his loving kindness, the Bible says, that draws people to repent and to fix up their lives and change. It's not God's judgment that leads us to transform. Although God is a judge and he's holy, but that he doesn't lead with judgment. He leads with love. Only as I learnt to really love people like God loved people, did I then come into an acceleration of spiritual growth in my own life. I thought growing as a Christian was loving God more, but God showed me that growing as a Christian is done best by learning to love people. That's what caused me to change and grow up. Discover Church is a point of life transformation, a place where people can have this kind of change and growth. Maybe you, you, you're here this morning and you were always in church, like I was always in church. Maybe you used to go to church and you've come back to church. So you've been de-churched at some point, but now you're coming back and having a look and thinking, I need to get some things sorted out. Maybe you got here this morning or got here into this church dramatically. Like Saul, you had a Damascus Road experience where God spoke out of heaven and something touched your life and transformed you. But you're here going, man, that was great, that encounter with God I had 20 years ago, but kind of run out of fuel there, you know, at about year six or seven, that kind of run out. Like, now I need something else because one transformation moment and encounter isn't enough. Or maybe you're here this morning because you don't know anything about church or about God and you've got questions about all that. Whatever the reason that you've come here, the goal of Discover Church is to introduce you to Jesus. That must be our job as a good local church, a healthy local church, is not to present all the ministries we have or all the visions we'd like to do or all the money we need to meet our budget this year. That is not the purpose of a local church. The number one purpose of a local church is to facilitate anybody who wants help, anyone who wants to transform and become a new creation and let the old go and the past go, to facilitate you having a relationship with God and hopefully we're doing a good job of removing any earthly human obstacles out of the way let's look at Saul now verse 1 and 2 I read before Saul is uttering threats this is before he becomes Paul before he has a name change like our church just had a name change last weekend meanwhile Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers So he went to the high priest asking for letters. He wanted to go to this town of Damascus, find Christians. They weren't called Christians yet, but find followers of the way. What's this this way of Jesus that people had started following? This way of Jesus that Jews had started following. His, His fellow Israelites had started following this new way that wasn't the right way. So Saul, in all his zeal and passion, thought, I will go out and I will sort these people out. He had made a great judgment of what was God's way and what was not God's way. And these followers of the way, or whatever they called it, were not doing God, worship, lifestyle. They weren't doing it right, so they deserved death. You see, Saul, get your head around this for a minute, Saul was the most passionate, most zealous, most dedicated follower of God in all of Jerusalem. He was serious about the things of God. So serious that he wanted to sort anyone out who would dare blaspheme his God. 
He talks of himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to to the Jewish law. I was so jealous, this is later on, that I harshly persecuted the church As for righteousness, the right way to live, we call this today in our modern culture being a good person. As for being a good person, I obeyed the good people rules without fault, he says. This guy was way better at loving God than any of you or me, way more zealous. But his great learning, his great knowledge of the scriptures... He had trained under Gamaliel, who was the, one of the most famous first century rabbis, Jewish rabbis that ever existed. He was one of the most intelligent. Saul was one of the most intelligent, best operators, gifted, gifted speaker, gifted manager, gifted leader, gifted follower of God that all of Jerusalem had seen at that time. Yet Saul had this huge obstacle that stood in the way of him meeting Jesus Christ, and it was his spiritual pride. He thought he was so on the way and in the way and doing it the right way that he couldn't see that God was moving and that God had actually moved through his very own son, Jesus Christ, the very Messiah that Saul was expecting, the very Messiah that Saul believed that one day God was going to come and he was going to bring salvation to the Jews, to his people. He believed in that. He was devoted to that prophetic message and mission with all of his heart. But he didn't miss the way because his pride of knowing God, conforming to the ways of God, he had missed the moment of transformation when Jesus had died on the cross. His spiritual growth had become empty. His Christian life, if you like, for us, putting it in our terms, had become dry. He was missing the point now. He was in the rhythm of church attendance and reading Bible and prayer. He did all of those kinds of things like we do, but his spiritual pride, he'd been blinded from seeing Jesus. So Jesus had to radically come on the Damascus Road. And we use this in our vernacular, don't we? You don't even need to be a Christian to talk about a Damascus Road experience. We understand it as a changing point in somebody's life when they go in one way and then they go the other. Dramatic conversion that can happen to somebody where they're totally changed inside and out in a moment. And this is what happens in verse three to six. As he's coming to Damascus, a light shines from heaven. And if you're wondering what a transformation looks like, we've got it right here in these verses. The first thing that will happen when you're transformed, the first thing that will happen when God wants to change you is something like a light will come into your life. A light that shines in darkness, a light that opens your eyes, but not your physical eyes, the eyes of your heart. A light that opens you up to something else. We can just go on to the next slide. The first thing that happens is a light. The second thing that you'll hear when God wants to change your heart and change your life, we can just jump onto the next slide, yep, is Jesus' confronting words. What does Jesus say? He says to Paul, Saul, sorry, he's not Paul yet, why are you persecuting me? But Saul's not persecuting God, is he? Jesus, is he? He's persecuting these followers of the way, these false believers, these people who aren't doing God right. 
But Jesus identifies himself with these followers of the way and says, hey, these people, remember, love God, love people. It's all connected. He says, these people you're persecuting are me. And me, Jesus, I'm these people. We're connected. You persecute them, you persecute me, you persecute me, you persecute them. This is available to all of us. Every Sunday, every day you get out your Bible and read it. Every time you look to the heavens, this is available to you, a Damascus Road encounter with God. That you, this is when I read the Bible. This is when you read the Bible. The light can shine from the Bible into your heart and bring growth, bring change, bring transformation. But in the Bible, you've got to hear the words of Jesus. Change comes through confrontation so often. And I don't mean that in the nasty, difficult, corner you kind of, uh, kind of way, intervention kind of way. You rock, rock up home at the end of the day of work and then your mother-in-law's there and your parents are there and your wife's there. and Not that kind of change where you get cornered some, some kind of intervention, but it's Jesus' loving words, but they pierce you straight to the heart. What are you doing? That's paraphrasing what Jesus said. That's what he says to us. Have you ever heard those kind of words before? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you living like that? When you hear those words, when you spend time with God, you are on to gold. Don't run. Don't run because you're on to a moment of transformation. So what comes out of that point number three is that our life can be redirected. See, Saul was blind in, his, in the eyes of his heart, but God opened his eyes to see Jesus. In the natural, the opposite happens. He sees Jesus with his physical eyes, the blinding light, and his physical eyes are blinded and he can't see anymore. But all of the sudden, the eyes of his heart are opened for the first time in his life. For the first time, he can truly see, even though he spends three days in blindness and darkness. Now he knows the real way, the upgraded way. And God gives him direction for his life. As he goes into Damascus and sits there for three days going, shaking from the encounter with God, what has happened here? All of a sudden, God begins to come into his life and he brings along, if you read on the story, he brings along a man named Ananias who helps him with his life direction and he changes. His name changes from Saul to Paul, just like we've gone from Southern Lights to Discover Church there's, there's a change that happens when we have an encounter. It's not until Acts chapter 13 that Saul is first called Paul. And then from that point on in Acts, he's never called Saul again. He's called Paul from that day forward. You see, his old name, his Jewish name, Saul, meant questioner or asker. Somebody who asks a lot of questions. And this represents his old life that he's left behind. The one who doubts and does not know. Paul is very different. Paul means humble. And isn't that a great word for when we get transformed by Jesus? A greater dimension of humility comes into your life. If you're more arrogant after a so-called encounter with God or a so-called revelation, if you're more prideful, then you haven't met Jesus Christ. But if you're more broken, if you're more humble, if you're more willing to listen, you're more willing to love others, then you know that maybe God is beginning to change your heart. The two names represent two seasons, Saul to Paul. He went from the God-fearer, I love God, 
to the, oh, it's Jesus Christ. He had a revelation of who Jesus is. He is God. He went from doing stuff for God to being with Jesus. And I get caught in this all the time. I don't know about you, but this is probably one of my biggest struggles. I get caught in doing for God when Jesus just wants to be with me and wants me to be with him. But it's so in my bones, and it's probably in your bones too at a level, that you've got to do stuff for God. And yes, doing stuff for God is great, but doing must come out of being, not the other way around. Paul goes from being blind, not being able to see Jesus, not be, he's falling over all these obstacles to get to Jesus, he's killing people who are trying to follow Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. He goes from works and working hard to grace. He goes from the Old Testament. He was a God-fearer because of the Old Testament, but he comes into the New Testament and comes into the way of grace and love. He goes from a questioner, a doubter, a difficult, prickly person to a humble, broken servant of the living God. What does this look like for us as we begin to finish up this morning? And, and, and as we come to the end this morning, I'm going to get the band up a bit later and we're going to just sing one last song this morning. I know it's made a lot, of, a lot of singing, a lot of worship. But I really want God, and I feel, I don't want, I feel God has said to me to give you space to think about this, to contemplate his glory, to meditate on this this morning. Because this is the only thing that's truly worthwhile in coming to church. It's transformation. Coming to church to conform and behave right, you know, that runs out of steam pretty quick. Coming to church to get information and to learn stuff, it's great, but it's not going to get you very far. Coming to church to be transformed in your heart is the reason you come. You can come and there can be bad music, not there was, was this morning, it was brilliant, but you can be transformed. You can come, there can be bad preaching. Jesus can transform your heart. You can come and your kid can get punched in the face in, southern, in, 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 in kids' church. You can get transformed in your heart. You can cop a bad coffee, which please come and speak to me after if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> Jesus can still transform your heart. You remember, you have to remember when it comes to church, and this is what Discover Church is going to be like going forward. You have to remember, we all come through those doors fighting what the world tells us fighting this saturation, this culture that we live in. Every Sunday, you walk through those doors fighting that. You walk through those doors and the world says church should make you feel good, but it, often the feelings aren't there. You walk through those doors saying, I'm a consumer, what's in it for me? But that's not what God or church is about, meeting your needs. You walk through those doors and all week, people have been trying to sell you things, been trying to make you feel good, telling you that you're the most important person in the world. But you're walking to church and God is the most important person in the world. It's a totally different... The minute you come through those doors, the orientation of what we do here is the complete opposite of the world that we live out there. And that makes it very hard for us because sometimes we feel it doesn't feel good, I'll go to the church down the road. It doesn't sound good, I'll go somewhere else and do something else. It's not about me, therefore I'll just get out of this Christian thing, it doesn't seem to work. But you've missed the orientation. God is here to shape your character. God is here to change your heart. God is here to say, you're not the center of your universe. I'm the center of the universe. Come join me in my mission. That's really hard to hear. It requires a change of heart and a transformation. 
There's two points of transformation that generally happen in our life. One is the Damascus Road, and that's the one we all love because it's immediate, we get converted, we get changed. The other one, though, it's the desert. It's, it's, it's a dry place. Now, you think maybe Saul had it easy. Wouldn't it be nice, God, if you rocked up in my bedroom and spoke to me? Then I would really believe. Then I would really follow. Saul had that encounter, which was fantastic. But he tells us later on, we don't hear this in the book of Acts. We just see the encounter in Acts chapter 9. And then what do we read next? His name changed to Paul, and then he's going on missionary journeys all over the ancient world, and people are getting coming to Jesus, and people are getting... And all this dramatic stuff's happened. But look at Galatians 1 verse 15 to 18. Paul says, after I met Jesus on the Damascus Road, I went into the deserts of Arabia for three years. Everyone say three years. Three years. Because it's in the desert that you will change more than anything. But God kind of uses the both. Okay, so if you understand God, you'll get Damascus Road, encounter, moments, words, light from heaven, things happen, great. It's powerful, it's exciting, it's cutting edge. But then you get it, it matched with these seasons of deserts. Oh, don't we love those? No, we don't. <laughs> but then there's a Damascus Road again. There's a moment, there's a, there's a time, there's a patch of carpet and you come out the front here and someone prays for you and God speaks and things happen. And you feel your heart move, but then it's, let's go back to the desert. Let's say the Damascus road for Saul was three minutes. The desert's three years. So you apply that to your life. You had one minute, you had one, 10 seconds, one sentence, God spoke to you, something shifted in your heart. Well, then that equates to about a year in the desert. This is completely not biblical what I'm saying to you, but I'm just putting it out there as a way to think through this, okay? So don't go and say, God, Caleb's theology is really going up the creek. I'm just as an example. And you flow between the two, and this is how God changes us. The desert is the time when it's dry. You, you lift your hands in worship and nothing happens. You sit before God and pray and you don't hear his voice. It's dry. It's empty. It's like you've never felt the presence of God before. It's all just poof gone in a puff of smoke. It's like Jesus does the 40 days and nights in the desert. It's like the desert fathers in the second, third, fourth century that went out to the desert in the Egyptian desert and they left the cities of the ancient world because it had become too worldly. Can you imagine that? We're in the third, fourth, fifth century. It's too worldly already. So they escaped to the desert in order to find God and learn how to pray. And this is where monasticism and all these things come out of that. There's deserts quiet. God often doesn't speak. But see, we walk through those doors and we think that every moment we should have an answer and we should have information and we should know what's happening. We should have certainty. We come into church and God says, I'm just not going to say anything today. Just stand there in silence. Just, just love me from your heart. And sometimes you've got to reach into the bottom of your heart when you're in the desert and find just that little bit of love for God and there's just no feelings. And there's no emotion and there's no happiness and there's no joy. But God is just, oh, this is the, the power in the desert. It's a painful experience. There's not food. There's not water. We question everything. Sometimes we can be in a moment of Damascus Road, but then a relationship breaks. A divorce happens. We lose our job. 
We have an issue at church and all of a sudden we go from Damascus Road and God is speaking and the light's shining and then all of a sudden we're in the desert. And we're like, is this even real? Christians are just useless and crappy. It's the same in here. It's the same out in the world. But in the desert, what happens is all these beautiful things come to the surface, like selfishness and impatience, intolerance and pride and spiritual pride like Saul. And all this junk comes up in the desert that you're never going to see that when the lights are shining bright on the Damascus road. And God is trying to transform our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Look at that for a moment. Guard your heart above all else. Here's your heart. You can touch it this morning if you want. It's right here. Right, it's on the inside here. Sunday morning at church, it's all about this. I couldn't care if you lift your hands or not. I couldn't care if you pray in tongues or not. I couldn't care if you want to be here or not. It doesn't matter because it's all about this. Why is it all about this? Why is God all about this? Because it determines the course of your life. What is in your heart will give your life direction. What is going on in here will come out eventually. You can push it down. You can pretend it's not there. You can fake it. You can be hypocritical. You can tell yourself all kinds of lies and stories and whatever about how hard your life is or you're a victim or you don't understand, Pastor Caleb. Whatever you want to do, that's fine, but that's all outer. Do you think God buys your story? Do you think God buys your excuse? No, he doesn't. He bypasses all of that and he wants to touch your heart. If your heart is not touched and changed, then the only thing you've got is behavior modification. If we can just pop the table up, God wants to transform you. When you are transformed, your heart is freed. Could you imagine? Your heart being free, your insides being at peace, being at rest. This is the inner life. This is what God is trying to do to transform you inside here. And it's full of grace. God shows grace to your weaknesses. He shows mercy to your sins. It's, it's all about the cross here. On the inside, you know you're a child of God. You don't have to perform or be anything or prove yourself to God. You can just be a child of God. By the grace of God, he welcomes you into his family. He says, son, he says, daughter, you're welcome you're valuable, I love you, come in, let's be in relationship. But transformation only happens really in community. Yes, God will touch your life, but he also gives you brothers and sisters in Christ. I've seen so many people get touched by God, have a Damascus Road experience, but they won't go into the desert when it's time to the desert. It's time for the slow down, it's time for the dry, it's time for the deep deep, deep inner work where God just, you know, like, it's like digging a deep trench and he just dig, digs into our hearts. Community, living in community with brothers and sisters in Christ keeps you on the path of transformation when all you want to do is just conform. Well, I just behave right. I just lift my hands right. I just read the Bible right. I just do right. I just be good. Be kind. Spiritual growth happens here when, when God transforms us. Conforming is just behavior modification. You can look like a Christian, but your heart is shackled. You can say Christian words, 
but your heart is in chains and it's still a slave to the things of this world. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, buying your stuff, judging, gossiping, you know, rising up the ladder at work, focusing on that big bank account so you can do your holidays or whatever you want to do. He says, don't be conformed to that. So you can be conformed to religion, doing Christian stuff, but you can just as easily be conformed to the things of this world. Someone will disciple you. This culture will disciple you or Jesus will disciple you. God will transform your heart or your favorite Instagram star will transform your heart. Your favorite clothing brand, your favorite football team, your favorite shares you you buy, your favorite work, your job, your bank, whatever. Something will conform you and transform you and try to transform you and disciple you or God can change your heart. When you conform, it's all about outer behavior, looking a certain way. Your Christianity becomes performance and approval, individualism. Community doesn't work in transformation. You've got to get rid of people because it's not about your heart. It's about faking it. And sadly, we drift back to sin and to selfishness. So let's all stand this morning. And just a final slide I want to show you here. And I want you to pray around this, worship around this. I just want you to spend some time with God. How do people change then? Okay, Pastor Caleb, maybe you feel convinced this morning that following Jesus is about transformation. How do people change? It's really simple, but it's incredibly difficult. The first one's really challenging. Change starts with confession. You've got to take responsibility for your sin and for your selfishness. Confession means you say it out aloud. (laughs) You don't just cognitively go, yeah, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. No, 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 no. Changing starts with, dear God, help me. I am a sinner. Lord, I humble myself before you today because I try to do it and I try to be strong. But it's filthy rags. My efforts are useless, Lord. My self-righteousness stinks. I need your righteousness. That's confession. How do people change? Confession and then repentance. Confession leads to God. Please change me. I repent. I'm sorry for this. Repentance is specific. I'm sorry for my spiritual pride. I'm sorry that I do it my way and not your way. I'm sorry that I make excuses and justify my actions. Help me, Lord God. I need to change. I want to change. That's repentance. And then thirdly, people change because they allow Jesus to do that radical work in their heart. And you have to put faith in God because you take your faith out of your works, your performance, your strength. That's why faith is part of changing because there's a whole part of change that is not certain. There's a whole part of that time in the desert that you just can't see it. You just don't have all the answers. So without faith, it's impossible to change. If you confess and repent but then don't have faith, you won't want to come to church. You won't want to run to the people of God. You'll feel exposed and vulnerable and weak and you'll just want to move into state or change jobs or change families or get a new wife or something like that. But with faith, Even in the desert, you can hold on to Jesus and say, well, if you rose from the dead, Jesus, you can raise me up from this position I feel feel dead. 
It's got to be the heart. Faith comes from the heart. Faith comes from the inside. I just want you to dwell on that, to pray on that, just as we sing this song. Just let God shift your heart today.